Jesus, the word has revealed the greatest love is to tell someone the truth about life to those who are dying. The essence of the church in this generation is to to be the method, the voice through which God would reveal the truth about life to those who are dying. Today is number five in our series through 1 John. And I don't know that you picked up on it, but I surely have, that when you study 1 John, a a storyline develops. This picture develops. And they are sequential. They are chronological. The first session, and it's not an accident, was the Word of Life. The Word of Life. And the Word of Life revealed the message of light. That was session two, that there's a light in the darkness, and you don't have to live in the darkness because the light has come. And then they brought up the third session, which is the truth about righteousness. There's a way to know the truth about that which is right so that you don't live thinking you're right, but you're wrong. And that brought up the last week, which is the new old commandment. And it reveals this greatest love. This greatest love is to tell the truth about life to those people who are around you who are dying. And today it's that. Now understand there's a context and it is in chronological order. So it starts building on itself. Don't do it. Now, I'm going to give you a promo. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're all still here. The Apostle John makes a statement, and it's just very next. If you got a problem with my topics in this series, go call John. Okay, don't bother me. Just call him. You know what next week's is? The Antichrist is coming. And I can tell you right now, yes, he is. Yes, he is. The Antichrist is coming. You want to carry his topic? That'll be next week. But today it's don't do it. And and if you understand this don't do it, you got to get the context because this whole thing unfolds in in an order, a particular order. The context is the new old commandment that we talked about in detail last week. The new old commandment. So we need to understand the context before we get to the next verse when, when John says just don't do it. So what's the context of don't do it? Well, I'm going to back up um, two verses, seven and eight, from verse John chapter two. This is what we talked about last week. And then there's a bridge. There's, a, there's one verse that bridges last week to this week. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one, an old commandment. You've had this since the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message that you've heard before. Old Testament, New Testament, you've heard this before. Yet it is also new. Now, last week I talked about it's new because now in the New Testament, in the new covenant, there's the Holy Spirit's power to actually be able to do the old commandment to love one another. Yet it is new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. Here comes the bridge. This is the one that for me puts them both together. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Now, I need, you got to get this bridge, or you're not going to get the next part. In this text, he says the darkness is disappearing. 
and the true light is already shining. So I want you to visualize something. He's, we're in the church age. In the very next few verses, he's going to announce the Antichrist is coming. A period of extreme darkness upon the earth. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. He says, but the darkness is disappearing. So here's what I want you to see. That in that time of the church, the darkness is huge. The church is beginning. The darkness is huge. But he says, the darkness is disappearing. So there's a time in the future, in the future, in the future, that the darkness will fade to nothing. The darkness will one day disappear. The darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. So when John makes this announcement, Jesus has already come to the earth. The light of the world has come to the earth. The true light of the world is already shining. So the church age is a time in which there is a darkness and there is a light and they are together in the same time. But John just puts this in there. The darkness is disappearing, but the true light is already shining. But for a season, they'll be together. The, the, we'll have to, the church will live in the time in which there is a great darkness, but there's also a great light. Here's the difference. The great light is going to be increasing until it is all that is left is the light. The darkness is decreasing, even though right now it looks like it's on the increase. Uh-uh. It's running out of time. And eventually, it will be totally replaced by the light. Now, that's real important for you to get this next part. The darkness, even though it looks powerful right now, it's consuming people. It's disappearing. It's running out of time. But the true light is already shining. Jesus lived it out. He demonstrated it boldly. What? This idea, this context of that statement is love one another. In the midst of the time in which there's darkness and light, both on the earth, one decreasing, one increasing, love one another. Jesus lived it. He demonstrated it. And how? We're supposed to be doing it. Tell the truth about life to people who are dying. It's the greatest love. Today, we expand the context of this new old commandment about love. Love what? Love how? Today, we look at the Apostle John's warning. This is it. The Apostle John, in the context of this greatest love, in the context of the darkness is disappearing and the light is already shining, in the context of that, he says this, don't do it. Don't do what? Verse 15. Do not love this world. Don't do it. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not, when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Remember the context here is the new old commandment. And what is the new old commandment? Love God, love one another, don't love the world. Are you hearing me? This is it. Love God, love one another, don't love the world. But now John gives us a warning about don't do it. Don't love this world or the things it offers you, don't do it. Why does he make such a big deal out of this? Why is it such an issue right alongside of this 
new old commandment of love. Don't do what specifically? It's easy to say don't love the world, but most people are going to scratch their head and say, I don't really know what that means. So let's focus on two questions to identify this warning from the Apostle John of don't do it. Number one, what would it look like today to love the world and the things the world offers? I imagine I'd get a lot of answers to that question if I were to poll the audience. What would it look like today to love the world and the things the world offers? Number two, what does loving the world mean? Why, excuse me, let me rephrase it. Why does loving the world mean that we don't have the love of the Father in us? John says, love in the world, don't do it. But if you do, it proves that you don't have the love of the Father in you. So let's begin there. Can't I do both? Can't I just do both? He says that if you love the world, it proves that you don't have the love of the Father in you. But we actually think we could pull it off. We actually think that, yeah, I can. I got a big old lover. I'm a, I can love both. I can love God and I can love the world, right? Now, now, listen, the darkness is disappearing. And the light is already shining. Now, don't ever forget that bridge between that topic and this topic. Many in the church still don't accept the truth about this heavenly spirit war. Many people, and I guarantee you they're in the room right now, that, that you, if you'd be honest, you do not really literally accept the truth that we are in a spiritual war between good and evil, light and darkness, holy versus unholy. Next week's topic, the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Christ at war with each other. So you got to understand, the bridge between last week and this week is a simple verse. The darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. They're both here in the church age. One will be eventually gone. The other one will take over, and that will be all that's left. The light will eventually replace all of the darkness. But for now, in the church age, they're both here. And there's a war between the darkness and the light. Ephesians 6.11, church, you need to come to grips with the real world. Put on all of God's armor. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm in this war. You'll be able to stand firm against the, all the strategies of the devil. He's real. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Your battle is not with that guy down the road that gives you a hard time. He's not with, your battle's not with your boss at work that you don't like or your spouse that you can't get along with. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. We're fighting against mighty powers, and here's the word, in this dark world world. Listen, but the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. But for now, we're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. 
Do you, how do you think you do in a battle boxing match with an evil spirit in a heavenly place? It's kind of hard to punch an evil spirit in the face. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, Jesus shouts to a crowd. <laughs> I believe he would shout it today. Jesus shouts to the crowd, if you trust me, you're trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you're seeing my Father. You're seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world. Now, why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send Jesus to the earth? I've come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. One more, John 14, 30. Jesus says, I don't have much more time to talk to you. Now, he says this right before he goes to the cross. I don't have much more time to talk to you. And, and the idea is he's going to send, he's going to leave the earth. He's going to take his seat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. The darkness is disappearing, but the true light is already shining. The ruler of this world, this dark world, he approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me. That will be the cross, so that the world will know that I love the Father. I need to tell you something today. For now, Satan is the prince and ruler of this dark world, and he has authority, and he has power. And on your own, you cannot fight him. You can't do it. When Adam sinned, he turned over the title deed and dominion to Satan, the adversary of God. If you go back and read the book of Genesis, it's important to understand that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave Adam dominion and authority over the earth. The kingdoms of men would have the dominion and authority of the earth. He gave them, I want you to imagine a piece of paper with the title deed of planet earth, and he gave it to Adam, and it would have been passed to Adam's descendants. He has dominion and he has authority. God gave it to him. And in that moment, Satan comes. And Satan comes to Adam, and he deceives him. And in that, in that moment, a transaction, a spiritual heavenly transaction that, quite frankly, my mind can't comprehend, Adam took the deed of planet Earth and handed it to the adversary of God, Satan. And ever since that day, Satan is in charge. He has dominion. But the darkness is disappearing. And the true light is already shining. So in that bridge, in that verse, he announces something will change. When Adam sinned, he turned over the title deed and dominion to Satan. Satan has been in charge of planet Earth ever since. And I'm going to ask you, do you doubt that? Now listen, God has supreme authority, but God has respected, for some reason, this transaction. He has acknowledged that Adam had it, and Adam lost it, and now Satan has it. And God steps back and allows a certain amount of things to take place. Satan has no authority over God the Father. Satan is a created being. He had a day in which he wasn't, and the next day he was. 
You can't ever say that about God. God has always been. He will always be. There's a big difference. That's why he made this offer to Jesus in the Judean wilderness. He has the title deed. He took it from Adam. Well, you know, Jesus is called the last Adam. So here he comes, and he, he, he's in the Jordan River, baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit comes out of heaven and descends upon Jesus. And the Bible says that in that moment, the, the Holy Spirit takes Jesus into the Judean wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now understand, Satan in that moment holds the title deed, the dominion of the earth. He took it from the first Adam. In Luke 4, verse 5, then the devil took him up, took, the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he looks at Jesus and says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms, and I will give you the authority over them. Look at the world, Jesus. It's mine. I took it from that first Adam, and I know you're coming as the second or the last Adam, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give all of this to you. That which I took from him, I'll give it to you. Because they are mine. To give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you with one condition. You got to do what the first Adam did. You got to listen to me instead of that other voice. You got to hear me over him. You got to let me instruct you what comes next instead of him instructing you what comes next. You got to follow my voice instead of that other voice that you call father. And what did Jesus do? Do you know the power of this? Oh, my, 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 the power of this. Jesus quotes the Old Testament Scripture. Jesus replied, the Scriptures say you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve Him only. Satan has no power over God. He has no power over Christ. But he has power over the earth and all of mankind unless... And boy, I'm happy there's an unless. Unless the person has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Listen, I need to make this really carefully clear. Satan has no power over God the Father, no power over Christ the Son. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, could look at Satan and say, No. No, I'll give you all of this if you'll worship me. No! He can't make Jesus worship him. He can't make him bow down to him. He has no power and authority over Jesus. But Satan has power over all the earth, all of mankind, until and unless something happens. And guess what that is? Until and unless the person receives the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of them. That changes everything. Now why? Just think about it. Just think about it. If he comes in after me and it's just me, he has authority and power over me. But if he comes at me and I've got Jesus in me, suddenly the game changes. God's children have power over Satan. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. That's the only way you're going to make it. God's children have power over Satan. 
That is the power of Christ to reject Satan's offer to join in the rebellion against God. Without Christ, I don't have the power to overcome him and his kingdom power. If God is not your father, so there's option A. Option A, which I highly recommend, Christ comes into you. You have for the first time in your life the power to overcome Satan, his darkness, his kingdom, his power, his lies, whatever. But if God is not your father through Christ, and the only way God will ever be your father is when Jesus becomes your brother. That's it. You have to come. No one will come to the Father except through me. And coming to Christ makes us children of God. We join with the Son of God as brothers and sisters of Christ, making us have the same Father. But if God is not your Father, then Satan is your Father. If God is not your father, you're sitting in this room today, and the reality is God is not your father, then I need you to come to grips with the truth that Satan is your father. That's not very nice, is it? And you belong to this fallen kingdom of darkness, even if right now you don't know it. Because there's only two fathers, and there's only two spirits. And there is light and there is dark. And John has revealed a truth. The darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. So let's go to the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking to a group of people that think God is their father. Church, listen to me. These religious folk think God is their father. We're the children of Abraham. So there's a danger that you could have, your father is Satan and you don't know it. You think your father is Jesus' father, but he's not. You've been deceived, which is how Satan does it. And your father is actually Satan himself. In John 8, 42, Jesus told them, if God were your father, now these are Jewish religious folks. If God were your father, you would love me. Why? Because that's the only way you're ever going to get to the Father. If God were your Father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but He, God the Father, sent me, Christ the Son. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Listen carefully. It takes an act of God to have ears to hear. It takes God to give me, you, ears to hear. So I'm going to stop. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, in the power of Jesus' name, that everyone who hears this message today will have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he, your father, does. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he's always hated the truth. Because there's no truth in him. And when he, Satan, lies, 
It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar, and he's the, notice he's the father, the originator of all lies. So when I tell you the truth, I'm going to hold it up. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally, naturally, you know what it means naturally? Because you don't have ears to hear. You just naturally don't believe me because you're so in the darkness that you think it's light. You're so in the darkness that you think your father is my father, but you've rejected Christ. Children of the devil cannot hear or understand what Jesus is because their spiritual father is Satan himself. The children of Satan do these, do the things that their spiritual father does. And from God's perspective, they are evil things, rejecting the truth. The children of the devil reject the truth of Christ because their father has no truth in them. So Jesus says, so when I just tell you the truth, you just naturally, you don't have to, you don't have to work at it. You just naturally don't believe anything I say. But there are two fathers. In this spiritual story of life and death, there are two fathers. If God were your father, you would love me, because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. And in all of that, here comes the apostle John, and he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you, for when you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Do you see it? The love of the Father is not in those who love the other Father, the devil. We all belong to one of these two fathers. Gives a whole different meaning to who's your daddy. <laughs> in 1 John 4, verse 4, he's looking at the true church, and he says, but you, true church, you, you belong to God, right? But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already, so what made me belong to God? You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. There's those two spirits. There's two fathers. And there's two spirits. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Those people those other people, they belong to this world. Listen, you either belong to God or you belong to this world. If you belong to this world, you belong to the prince of this world. And you're in a kingdom that's fading. It's disappearing and it's temporary. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. But we belong to God and those who no, God, listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Two spirits. One is truth, one is deception. Loving the world and all the world has to offer is to love the one, the other father, that rules the dark world of sin. So what's the problem with that? The world is 
the darkness is disappearing and the true light has already begun to shine. Satan's rule and Satan's kingdom are temporary and his days are running out. Church, listen. Satan has great power and great authority. And he is a great darkness and he is a great spiritual power and adversary of God. And his days are running out. Do you believe that? In Revelation 12, verse 12, it says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Well, why are they rejoicing up there? And you who live in heavens, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Why? Why are they so rejoiceful? But terror will come on the earth. Terror will come to the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger. And what would make him angry on the earth? For he knows that his time is near. His days are short. He's got little time left. The darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. How much time does Satan have left? No one knows. I wish his time would expire today. I don't know how much time he has left, but what we do know is this, Ephesians 1 verse 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. Now pause for a moment. I need to do this again. The darkness is disappearing, but it looks really dark out there. And if you're on the side of light, it almost looks like the light's losing in the dark's winning. And then there's this verse, the darkness is disappearing and the true light has already begun to shine. God has already, with foreknowledge, announced that the darkness has an expiration date, a date in which it will go, go down. It'll, it'll look like it's getting bigger and it will get bigger and then it will stop. But the light that is already shining and has been shining since the church age began, the light, it's starting to increase. As the darkness increases, the light increases until one day all that will be left will be light because the darkness will be removed by the presence of the light. Now, you know that in advance and the, knowing that in advance ought to change your life because you know the future. You know how this thing ends. Listen, God has now revealed to us the mysterious plan regarding Christ. Now, it's not a mystery to you now, is it? That the darkness will one day totally disappear as the light comes to totally take over the earth. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is, what's the mysterious plan? This is the plan. At the right time, he, God the Father, will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Well, I can tell you right now, that's not the earth. Are you listening? Right now, the authority on the earth is this dark power. But he says at the right time, God the Father will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. And where's darkness going to go to hide then? It's in heaven and on earth. And in the middle of all of this, you have the apostle John saying the darkness is disappearing and the true light is appearing, is, is already here. And he says, don't do it. 
While, you, while they're both together in the world, while the church is here and the darkness is here, the light is here and the darkness is here. Yes, they're here together for a season, for a time, fulfilling God's mysterious plan, waiting for the final day, that final day when, when he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. And during that time, do not love the world. Don't fall in love with this temporary world or the temporary things this world has to offer. Why? Because it's disappearing. When you fall in love with this world, it is to fall in love with the false king and to put your trust in his false and temporary kingdom. And what does that look like today? Okay, preacher, you've got my attention. What does that really, really practically look like today? I want to read off a list of some things, and I want you to consider that next to the modern American culture. And as, before I read them to you, I've got a, an alarming thought. Here's the alarming thought. Do the people who belong to Satan know they belong to Satan? Do the people in the darkness know they're in the darkness? I have to believe that if you knew you were in the darkness, you'd come into the light. I have to believe that if you knew you were lost, you'd come to Jesus and be saved. And therein lies the terrible dilemma. Physical pleasure. What, is, what does it mean to belong to this world? Do not love the world or any of the things it offers you. What does it mean? What does the world offer you? Physical pleasure. Craving for everything we see. I want that. I want that. I want two of those and three of those. Pride in our achievements. Did you see my diploma? Did you see my trophy? Did you hear about my promotion at work? Have you, have you been to my house? Do you see how I put those stripes in the yard? Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Fifteen, let me put it in context. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father inside of you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. Pride in our achievements. Pride in our possessions. Where, where's that coming from? The world. And where'd the world get it? From the Father. And it's not the same Father that Jesus had. He's a different Father. That's why he says, don't do it. These are not from the Father. And you know what happens? We read that in the modern American church, and we think, but I can't. I, I can do both. I can, I can love the world, and I can love Jesus. These are not from the Father. They are from the world. And this world, listen, here's, I told you there's a bridge. And this world is fading away. The darkness is disappearing, and the light is already shining. This world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. 
The darkness is disappearing. The true light has already been lit. Can you see it? Don't do it. Why? Because it's all temporary. It's like cotton candy that will eventually make you sick. Some of you know that um, um, back years and years and years ago, um, um, I played football in high school. Lee Moore's here today. Coach Barnett was in our first service today. He was our football coach in high school. And when we were juniors in the high school, uh, we had a really good football team and uh, so good a football team that we won the regional championship. And it's the first time Anderson County uh, had ever won the region and went to the state playoffs. And I'm going to tell you, we were big stuff. You just need to come to grips with the fact that we were big stuff. And no, nobody, Anderson County had never done that before, and we were like, we were big stuff. Now, I'm not going to bring up the part that when we got to the state playoffs, we played Richmond, Madison, and they beat the fire out of us. But we went to the state playoffs. Nobody else had done that. So we won, and we were like the heroes of the town going down the street in parades, and but it was, it was big. It was big. And you know, we worked hard to do that. I mean, it's a lot of training and a lot of sweating and a lot of, a lot of hard work to accomplish to get to a team that could accomplish that kind of a, a season. And they gave us a big old trophy, and we took pictures of that big old trophy, and we looked good next to that big old trophy. <laughs> and then time passed. Well, I'm going to guess it's about 10 years ago. I don't remember. Uh, 10 years ago, I went to um, an Anderson County basketball game. And I wanted to watch somebody from church play. And uh, at some point, I walked out into the lobby area, and I noticed this really large trophy case out there. And you know, I thought to myself, I want to go see that 1973 regional championship trophy. <laughs> I do. I want to see that. I probably walked through there like this. <laughs> so I walked over to the trophy case and I started looking around thinking, well, huh. So I looked really hard and really hard. And I'm not making this up. Not only is it in the very back, it's laying sideways. <laughs> it ain't even standing up. It's like this. Now, I don't know. I haven't looked for it since. It's too painful, but I, I don't know. But I'm going to guess that by now someone's thrown it in the dumpster. And that's what Satan offers. That's it. We pour ourselves into a life that if we're not really, really careful, is one day it's going to all burn up. It's all going to be thrown away. The light is here right now alongside of this great darkness. But the darkness is disappearing and the true light has begun to shine. Can you see it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Can you see it? Don't do it. Look at me. Look at what I have. Look at what I've achieved. Pride in self. What, where do you think pride in you comes from? God the Father? Did he give you that? Did God the Father give you self-pride? No. Where did you get it? 
near the Father. Pride is not from God. You know what's from God? Humility. Humility. Jesus demonstrates the character and the heart of God. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, suffering its shame. He humbled himself, washed the feet of his disciples. Humility. Humility says what? Pride says, look at me, right? Look at me. Look at my trophy. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look at my diploma. Look at, look at, look at, look at, look at me. It never says, look at somebody else. Pride says, look at me. And I gain my, my value in life, my purpose in life by look at me, look at me. And you know what humility says? Look at him. Look at him. Humility says, look at the goodness of God that has blessed me. Don't look at me, but look at my Redeemer. All glory, honor, and power belongs to him, for he has saved me, and I'm a wretch. And here John says in the middle of all this, don't do it. Don't fall into Satan's trap. Don't love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You can't love both fathers. The absence of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the love of the Father in you. Will always create an emptiness. It will always create a thirst that will never truly be satisfied in this world. Physical pleasure, craving for everything. Everything we see, we crave. Pride in our achievements and possessions. You know what it really is? All of that is to be thirsty. It is to be thirsty. It is to be hungry. It's, it's, it's like the spiritual need to satisfy something in my soul that's craving. Like my physical thirst, I crave for water. I put water in, it satisfies the thirst. My soul is thirsty. My soul is hungry. It's looking for something to satisfy something on the inside of me. So we try physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in achievements and possession. It's thirstiness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is to be thirsty and never, never satisfied because that stuff doesn't satisfy the human soul. The human soul is crying out for living water, something eternal from God. But Satan convinces people to turn to him for temporary junk instead, and the apostle John cries out these words, don't do it. Satan wants to offer you what he offered Jesus. Have you ever thought about it like that? Satan wants to offer you what he offered Jesus, a place in a temporary kingdom. Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus turned them down. Was it Satan's to give him? It looks like it was, but the problem is it would only be temporary. Instead, Jesus did what the first Adam didn't do. He rejected the temporary and received the eternal. I want to read Matthew's account of that same scene that I read earlier from the Gospel of Luke. This is Matthew 4, 8. Jesus, Satan, in the temptation in the wilderness. 
Next, the devil took him, Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. I will give it all to you. I will give it all to you, Satan said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get, get away from me, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Don't do it. But I'll give you, I'll give you all of this. I'll give you all of that. I'll give you this and this and this and this, and I'll double that one. Don't do it. Why? It's temporary. It, the darkness is real, but the darkness is disappearing and the true light has already been lit. They're here together, but I know how it's going to end. Do you? In James 4, 7, it says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When he makes you that offer, say, get behind me, Satan. No, get away from me, Satan. Jesus in that scene in the wilderness was physically hungry. He was physically thirsty. He had been on a 40-day fast when Satan offered him a temporary kingdom in the world. But Jesus knew about something that would forever satisfy his thirst. And what was it that satisfied the hunger and thirst of Jesus? What did he know that we all need to know about this hunger and this thirst that can only be satisfied by God? You remember when Jesus had the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well? At the very end, after he had revealed to her the secret of living water that was better than any of the water she might get out of Jacob's well, in that scene, Jesus reveals to her, he is the Messiah. And what's really interesting about this story is it looks like this is the first time that Jesus revealed his messiahship to anyone outside of his immediate circle. And he does it to a woman, and he does it to a Samaritan woman, which to the Jews was like being a Gentile. You're a half-breed. And he reveals his messiahship. Well, something happens there that answers the question, what did Jesus know that we need to know about being thirsty and hungry and how to satisfy it. So here we go, John 4, 26. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Now, this is where it comes in. Jesus, you got to eat some physical food because they'd gone in to get food. Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. I want to know about this kind of food. This, this is what I want to know. Rabbi, eat something. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. 
did someone bring him food while we were gone? They asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes by doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Church, listen. This is it. My nourishment. You know what feeds the innermost part of this man named Jesus? His connection to the Father. I have food you don't have a clue about. That he feeds me from the inside out. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. He's talking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the others. And Jesus wants to reveal this heavenly food and heavenly drink that satisfies the hungry human, the hungry, the hungry, thirsty human soul. Well, you try saying that that fast. Jesus knows he is the bread of life. He is the living water. And he looks at them and says, don't do it. Don't trade the temporary junk food of this earth. Don't make that transaction. And with all of that background, with all of that background, I'm going to tie everything together right now. Don't do it. Don't trade today for the last day. Everything I've said is to come to this point right now. The transaction is to trade the temporary for the eternal. In essence, it's to trade today for the last day. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a terrible, deadly trade. Just don't do it. I'm going to put it all together. Here we go. I'm going to repeat those three verses, 15 through 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is what? Fading away. Along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Live forever, live forever, live forever, live forever, live forever, live forever. Don't do it. Don't trade today for the last day. I'm watching people, even in church, trade today for the last day. This is the same John recording the words of Jesus about the only way to permanently satisfy the hungry, thirsty soul of mankind, the only way to, sur- to, to survive the last day. Listen, everyone in this room has a last day coming. Maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you even wish I didn't talk about it. I've got to tell you, you've got a last day coming. That last day might be the day that there's a trumpet and we go to heaven together. Or that last day may come because of your physical death. But everybody's got a last day. And the Apostle John says, don't do it. Don't you ever trade today for that last day. Why? Here it comes. Maybe you don't know it, but you participated in this right before I came up to speak. John 6, 53. Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. What? What did he say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have inside of you anything that passes from this world to the next. 
You can't do it. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And here it comes. And I will raise that person up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. That's real food. Where, where does, where's this, where's this eternal food at? Jesus says, I have nourishment you don't know anything about. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me. Anyone who feeds on me. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. But whoever eats this bread, I'm the manna. I'm the manna from heaven. Anybody who takes me and puts them on inside of them, they will live forever. The question is whether or not you believe that. Now, some people, some people believe that, 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 that when you take communion with the right heart, you take the bread and, and the, the cup, that it literally becomes the blood and body of Jesus. Now, I probably lean more the other way, that it's symbolism, that, that it is by faith that I'm, I'm remembering that the, the blood and the body of Christ is life in me, that, that it represents the person of Christ in me, not, not literally. But either way, I, I don't care. The point is this. His blood is real drink. His body is real food. And if you don't put him inside of you, you're going to die. And the only thing that would keep you from doing that is that you have followed the other father. Because the other father doesn't have any truth in him. And he's not going to tell you the truth about life while you're dying, but Jesus already did. And when Jesus did that, listen, here comes my favorite part today. And when Jesus did that, he revealed, you got to get me on the inside of you. That's what, that's it. You got to get me on the inside of you and you can't die. And Satan can't do anything to you anymore because I'm greater than him. And the darkness is disappearing and the true light is shining. You got to get me the true light inside of you. So partake of me. Now, when he did that, all the people fell down and worshiped Jesus and said, praise God, hallelujah, Messiah has come. That's not what happened. Does anybody listen? That didn't happen at all. And today, it still doesn't happen. What? It's not happening today either. You mean he just announced the way to have eternal life and no one accepted it? And they're all dying? You know what happened when he revealed that? You get me and you and you'll live forever. You know what happened? The opposite. The opposite. The opposite happened. Next verse. Verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? You want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Really? You think you, you're just a guy and you can make me live forever? Really? 
This is a very hard teaching. I can't accept it. So today, I want to tell you, yes, I agree. This is hard to understand. And let me, let me rephrase it. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never understand it. No one can understand it. God's help is how I understand it. And you know what God's help is? I've been reading it to you all morning. God's help is God's Word. And when you read God's Word, something happens. And I, I'm looking at you in the face, and I wonder how many of you are even getting this part. When you read this, something supernaturally happens to you on the inside. He opens your eyes to see. He opens your ears to hear. And He opens your heart to believe, receive, and obey. He does it. He does it. God's help is God's Word revealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm reading to each of you today. Remember, in this scene, there's a very large crowd of disciples listening to Jesus. Not just 12. When He reveals this, I'm the, you got to get me on the inside of it. When He does it, there's a huge crowd assembled. It's 12 are there also, but there's a huge crowd assembled. And Jesus responds directly to their confusion and complaint. They have just looked at Jesus and said, this is very hard to understand. How can anybody accept this? How can we just believe you? Verse 61, here's his answer. Jesus is aware that the disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Let me do this. Does this offend you? I can assure you it offends me every time I read it. Do you understand that? But I've learned to adjust myself to it rather than asking it to adjust to me. Does this offend you? Anybody today? He asked, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend into heaven again? What are you going to do with that one? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. You got to get me inside of you or you're going to die. The Spirit alone. Does that offend you? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are Spirit and these words are life. But some of you do not believe me. Same is true in this room right now. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. And then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. That's why I prayed a few minutes ago. I prayed this prayer, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart that will believe, receive, and obey. Because unless you move, unless you do something among us, we cannot do it ourselves. Yes, this is very hard to understand. It is impossible with God's help. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws them. And what does the Father use today to draw us to Him? What? Today, 2022, what does the Father use today to draw us to His Son? His Word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide, purify, and separate the light and the darkness of the human heart. And unless you belong to the other father, the devil. 
you will believe this word. The word is life, and the word is truth, and the word is Jesus. And I hear Jesus saying then, and I hear Jesus saying today, but some of you just don't believe me. This next verse is the dreaded 666 number. It is. I'm not trying to tie this verse to the Revelation Antichrist, but it is really interesting to me that Jesus has just revealed to them the secret of eternal life. Their answer is, this is hard. Who can believe it? He says, Do you, does this offend you? And this is what happens. John 666. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Don't trade today for the last day. He had just told them how to live forever. And many of his disciples turned and walked away. Don't do it. Love God. Why do you think they're walking away? Love God, love others, but do not love this world. He said the word many. Jesus, Jesus' 12 disciples were standing there when many people turned and walked away from Jesus. Can you imagine what that felt like that day? There's a huge crowd. There, Jesus is popular. He's getting famous. Everybody loves the miracles. They're excited about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then suddenly Jesus says, but you got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. You got to get me on the inside of you. And the crowd thins out and walks away. Now you're one of the 12. What do you think you feel in that moment? And the reason I asked that question specifically is that describes the church right now. That's us. Because to the world, Jesus has explained the way to have eternal life. And the crowd turns and walks away. And the question is, do you still believe it? It's happening today. Can you imagine what they felt like? Well, it's happening today. Jesus then turns to the 12 and says these incredible words, the same words that he speaks into this room today. Verse 67, Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you guys going to leave too? When it gets hard, are you going to leave? When the crowd, when the world, when the world which belongs to the other father, when the world rejects the word, are you going to walk away? Into the darkness? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom were we going to go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm going to ask you a question today. Where you, if you reject this message of Christ, where are you going to go? The darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining is this a hard teaching? Yes. But who else can raise up? Who else can raise you up on the last day? What are you going to do? I'm asking you, what are you going to do about sin? What are you going to do about death? What are you going to do about the grave? What are you going to do about the last day? So I'm going to close with this. Are you still hungry? His flesh is real food. Are you still thirsty? His blood is real drink. You can eat, drink, 
and test drive everything this world has to offer the senses. And guess what? You will still be hungry and you will still be thirsty unless you deal with the hunger and the thirst of the human soul. And you know why it can't be satisfied with the world? The soul is eternal. The world is temporary. The human soul cries out for the eternal food and drink, living water, eternal bread of life. And you can only find that in Jesus. Everything else will leave us empty on the last day. Don't do it. Three short verses inside of 1 John chapter 2. And they cry out to the church today. Don't do it. I'm watching. I am watching many in the church follow the world instead of Christ. Don't do it. I'm going to read it again, believing that this word has power to redeem. Verse 15, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but only, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. God's love is revealed in this room today. He doesn't want anybody here to perish. The darkness is real, but the darkness is disappearing. And it will soon be replaced by light. Don't be in the darkness when God's great light appears. Are you listening? Don't be in the darkness when this great light appears. Last verse, 1 John 2, 8. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are living it for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I've said when I started this morning that the greatest love is to tell the truth about life to somebody who's dying. This past week, uh, my wife and I went with Eddie and Cheryl Webster to the Billy Graham Training Center, and there was a Christian conference there, and uh, about five, 600 people attended, and it was just something I needed to do to get away. Bob Russell was the conference leader, and, and something happened in every session, in every event, and I just felt like it was God trying to communicate something to me too. These were Christians, brothers and sisters, assembled to worship and to grow in Christ, and something kept coming up. In every setting, the same thing kept coming up. Every person I had an opportunity to speak with all had came to the same conclusion. Every one of them had people in their family, children, usually children, but it was people in their family that were lost. And there was an anxiousness in the entire crowd about that issue that the dark world had swallowed their children. And the dark world was swallowing their children and their grandchildren. And it's real. And the greatest love is to tell the truth about life to somebody who's dying. And here's when it came up. There is a natural inclination when it comes into your family, when the world's darkness comes into your family, 
that you withdraw so that you don't separate yourself from that person you love. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. You have fallen for the great lie. Can you imagine your child in the future falling helplessly into a lake of burning sulfur? And you did not tell them the truth about life while you were with them? That they never saw in you the urgency and the separateness that we have to live in this dark world? They never saw that in you? One of the, one of the parents was talking to me personally, and, and it was a, a girl, she had a daughter that was now identifying as a man. And she was asking me, how, how do we... How do we approach this? The, the darkness is swallowing this generation. Listen, I'm telling you the truth. The darkness is swallowing this generation, and you and I have been called to be the light of the world. And if you're shrinking back from these people that you say you love, then I wonder who your father is. Do you understand? Because the, the, the genuine love of Christ compels me to tell them the truth about life because they are dying. So the challenge to the church today is the darkness is disappearing. It is. I don't think there's much more time. Next Sunday I'm going to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to start a class Wednesday night. It's, it's an evangelistic outreach. If you've got people in your family that need to know what the future is, bring them with you Wednesday night. I'm going to reveal to you what I believe is coming to this world soon. When the darkness disappears and the true light is the only thing left shining. There's an event on God's calendar when the light of the world, the church, will be taken away. And darkness for seven years will cover the entire earth, the time of Jacob's trouble. Wrath of God will fall upon the earth. But that's not the end of the story, is it? At the end of that seven years, the darkness will be removed and only light will remain. The darkness is disappearing, but the true light has begun to shine. Do you know about it? Have you told somebody about it? Do you believe it? Darkness is swallowing this generation. In the silence of the church, darkness is swallowing this generation. In the silence of the church. Are you, does this offend you? Does it offend your children? Then they will die. And you had in your possession the truth of eternal life. Father, awaken your bride. Father, may your Holy Spirit fire burn in us again. So that we will not be silent while a generation is lost, while those we love turn into the darkness while we hold the light. Father, awaken your bride to the truth. Send us out as light in the darkness, knowing this truth that the darkness is disappearing, but the true light of Christ is being revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open. Whatever the Holy Spirit doing in your life, say yes, Lord. Let's stand.